0: Ready, uh, for our time in the Word, I want to introduce our preacher for the morning. Uh, so, our very own Blaine Taylor is going to be bringing the Word to us. Blaine has been a member for uh, two years, I think, at, uh, at Rocky Point. Uh, and uh, many of you have already uh, benefited from the ministry of the Word through Blaine, whether it was from our uh, family Bible study or in the college and career class. Uh, Blaine, you've also uh, been, if you've been here uh, for any amount of time, uh, Blaine has served on our worship team and has ministered in that way. Um, Blaine is a student at Tarleton, and uh, Lord willing, uh, will be going along with his fiancée, Liberty, uh, by, this, by the fall, his wife, Liberty. Um, and uh, they will be going up to Louisville, Kentucky, where Blaine will be uh, studying at Southern Baptist Theological Seminary and pursuing uh, the Lord's call on his life uh, to full-time uh, ministry. And uh, he 'll be equipped there, and uh, we are, are going to be sad to see them go, uh, but really excited for what the Lord will continue to do in their life um, but this morning um, you know as we as we have the opportunity to hear from Blaine, uh, one of the things that i 'm just excited about uh, for our church is that we get the privilege of getting to uh, equip the saints for the work of ministry, uh, and that this pulpit isn 't about um, just one Pastor or even two pastors, but this is this is a place where the the saints who have been given the Holy Spirit who have been equipped uh, by God and gifted by the Holy Spirit, uh, get to serve um, and use their gifts and we want to continue to be a church that is equipping the saints that is raising up um, ministers uh, at in every respect, um, including ministers who would. Uh, be use of the Lord in full-time vocational uh, ministry and and in all various kinds of ministries. And so uh, really excited for uh, how the Lord is uh, is at work and how uh, the Lord will continue to be at work. Um, But this morning, uh, the thing that I love about Blaine and uh, and, and in all the, the ministries that I've been able to be a part of with him is Blaine doesn't want it to be about Blaine. And this morning, as we're hearing the word, We're not here to hear Blaine preach. We're here to hear the word of God preached. And so this morning, I guarantee you will be fed well by God through his word, uh, through uh, his servant Blaine. And so I want to take some time to pray for us as we get ready to hear the word. And I would encourage you to to lean in and hear God's word for your soul um, as as. The Lord uses Blaine to deliver it to us this morning. Let's pray together. Father, as we come to your word, Lord, we call to mind all that we have already heard and sung and declared today. That you exalted Jesus to your right hand. You gave him all authority in heaven and on earth. Or the lamb who is slain is the lion who conquered the one who is seated at your right hand. Worthy to receive all power. All glory, all honor. And Lord, we desire today to bow to you, to bow to your authority, to bow to our Lord Jesus who you have exalted to your right hand. Lord, we desire to bow in our hearts, to bow under your word and hear from you, and Lord, to bow with our lives as we go in submission to your word. So Lord, today I pray that you would use our time in the word to that end. Uh, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would fill Blaine as he preaches, that your Holy Spirit would fill us as we listen. Uh, Lord, that you would open our eyes to see wonderful things in your word for this time is for you and to you and from you and we are are um, grateful that you would be so generous as to reveal yourself to us through your word or we'll be honored in this time it's in Jesus name we pray amen
1: good morning It is uh, such a blessing uh, to be able to stand before you this morning. Uh, This opportunity to preach the word that you have given me uh, has been very edifying. And so I pray that it be edifying also for you. Uh, This morning we we will be diving into Matthew chapter 7. So if you would go ahead and turn there. Uh, but before we read the Word of God, let, let me give you just a, a brief background on where we are at. Um, in, Matthew's, in Matthew chapters 5 to 7, uh, we find what is called the, the Sermon on the Mount. Um, many of you know it and, and are perhaps familiar with it. Most of us, though, when we think about the, the Sermon on the Mount, we, we think of different ethical teachings of Jesus. Like, do not be angry or do not lust, and, and so on and so forth. And th- this is certainly a part of uh, the sermon, but what we often fail to miss is the big picture of the sermon, along with its weightiness. In Matthew 5, Jesus ascends up on the mountain, and with his words, he begins to flip the world upside down. Speaking to practically the, the most religious people on the planet, the Jews, Jesus indeed takes everything that they have known and flips it on its head. He opens his mouth, and the first thing he says is, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Now, that, that should make you pause. Pause. No no doubt the the Jews hearing marveled in a culture where following the law was a part of every aspect of life, in a culture where where Pharisees were proud uh, because of their righteousness and high spiritual status, Jesus says, no, no, blessed are the poor in spirit. But the the big point of the sermon comes to us first in verse 20 of chapter 5. It says this, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And again, in verse 48. You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. What what is the point of the sermon? The point is that true citizens of the Lord's kingdom must manifest a righteousness that exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees. But, catch this, this righteousness only comes about as we are changed by God's grace and power in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so Jesus continues to labor this point, that it is not about more righteous deeds done by human effort, but more righteous hearts by Divine grace. Not more righteous deeds. By human effort. But more righteous hearts. By divine grace. And, and Jesus shows that this should be evident. In our attitudes. Our desires. Our ambitions. And our relationships. Then as Jesus winds up. The Sermon on the Mount. He, he reminds us of the weightiness. Of his kingdom. And how difficult it is. To enter, but at the same time, he still graciously gives an invitation. In chapter seven of Matthew, in verse thirteen, Jesus says, There are two gates. There's the narrow gate that leads to life, and there's the wide one that leads to destruction. And many go in that wide way, that that broad way. Then in verse 15 of, of chapter 7, Jesus says, There are two trees. There are healthy trees and diseased trees. And some of these diseased trees are false prophets trying to usher you to destruction through the wide gate. They're selling tickets on the broad road that is marked heaven, but leads to hell. Then we finally come to our text where, where Jesus gets, he gets real pointed. He he directs it to your soul. And He says, not only is it difficult to enter the kingdom, not only will people rise up and try to deceive you, but you may even deceive yourself. You may even deceive yourself. And this is where we come to verse 21 of chapter 7 in Matthew. So, if you are able, I would ask that you would stand in honor of the reading of God's word. Matthew 7, starting in verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, And cast out demons in your name, and do many mighty works in your name. And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came. What is it to be a Christian? Is it to know things about the Bible and about Jesus? Is it to know theology? Is it perhaps to feel excited about church things? Is it to attend church on Sundays? Is it to be here on Wednesdays? Is it to go on the occasional mission trip? Is it to to walk an aisle, pray a prayer, and and sign a card? What is it to be a Christian? Undoubtedly, this is a very important question. And an answer we might give is is Romans 10. It is to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead. And this is true, This this is true, this is scripture, but... How do we know if that is true of someone? How do we know if someone truly believes in their heart that Jesus is Lord? How do we know if someone truly loves Christ? In John 14, Jesus says, If you love me, you will keep my commands. In 1 John, again, it says that the love of God is this. That you keep his commands. In James 1 it says. Be doers of the word. And not hearers only deceiving yourselves. So h- here's the question I-, I want to put before you this morning. Is your life a testament to the lordship of Christ? Is your life a testament to the lordship of Christ. Not just on Sundays. Not just on Wednesdays. I, I'm not talking about empty works. in every now and then. As Jeff said last week. Uh, the truth that Jesus is lord of all. Has cosmic implications. And that includes you. That includes me. If he is your lord. Then he cannot just be lord of parts of your life. Or just your Lord on Sundays? So the question. Does your life proclaim, shout, testify to the Lordship of Christ? Do your actions, your decisions, your desires and words give way to the absolute beauty, power and authority of Jesus? Or do you say... Lord, Lord, with your mouth and in your soul, cry, me, me. Have you reduced Jesus in your life to something that he isn't? Something other than Lord? Do you continually exalt yourself as if you were Lord? And to be clear, this is not just about blatant hypocrisy. No, in fact, our text would deal with a a form of hypocrisy, perhaps more tragic and more difficult to deal with. Self-deception. Self-deception. What does it look like for someone to say, Lord, Lord, and to sincerely believe they mean it? To sincerely believe that they are saved and yet ultimately not be? What does it look like to be that close and yet ultimately so far? How great is the tragedy to have false assurance that on that day you will enter the kingdom, but to finally be shut out forever. How how can you know? How how can you be sure? Let the word of God and Jesus beckon your soul to self-examination this morning And let the Word of God stir you up to genuine faith and obedience. The parallel to our passage in Luke chapter 6:46, it says, "Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? We are going to walk through this, this text um, in two parts. Two parts. First, in in 21 to 23, we will see profane professions. Then in 24 to 27, we will see foolish foundations. First, profane professions, and then foolish foundations. First, let's look at profane professions. Uh, Growing up, you, you might have heard a lot about taking the Lord's name in vain. And not using profanities or curses in conjunction with his name. And this is generally how we understand what it is to take his name in vain. And here's what I want to submit to you. If it is wrong to use his name in conjunction with a bad word. How much worse is it to use his name in conjunction with a life of disobedience to Him. How great is the profanity to cry, Lord, Lord, with your mouth, and yet with your life, deny that He is Lord. D- do you understand what I'm saying? Th- th- this is what is meant by profane professions. And these are the kind of professions we are about to see. In verses 21 to 23, uh, we get a glimpse into Judgment Day. Or people are gathered before the throne of God and are either condemned or ushered into life everlasting. So in verse 21, we will see the Lord of heaven. We will see who it is that enters the kingdom of heaven. And we will see who it is that does not. Then in verse 22, we will hear the cry of the many. We will see their profane professions. And in verse 23, we will see the Lord's confession about the many. So, verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. First, consider the Lord of heaven. And I want you to see how profound and how shocking this is. Remember, this is the sermon on the mount. This is this is early on in Jesus' ministry and as he draws his sermon to a conclusion, he invites the people to enter the kingdom. And ultimately, he invites people to himself. Look at what he says. Not everyone who says to me, "Lord, Lord," to me. Not everyone who says to me, "Lord, Lord." Who is it that you stand before on that day? Who is it that entrance to the kingdom of heaven is by? Who is it that is Lord? It is Jesus. Do you see the absolute authority of Jesus? Do you see the beautiful, divine nature of Jesus? No doubt, but the the people who heard this marveled. Verse 28 and 29 of chapter 7 say, "...and when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching." For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. Jesus is the one with all authority in heaven and on earth. Jesus is the one who is the judge of the living and the dead. Jesus is the one by whom entrance to the kingdom of heaven is given. The one by whom eternal life is given. It is by no other name. It is by no other hand. Jesus is Lord. 2 Corinthians 5.10 It says this. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Now who is it that enters the kingdom? Who is it that enters the kingdom? The one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Entrance to the kingdom of heaven is for the one who submits his life in word and deed to the Lord. Word and deed. Notice that it says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord. The people who do enter the kingdom are still confessing that Jesus is Lord, but how do we know that they truly believe in their heart that Jesus is Lord? How do we know that their profession is genuine? They do the will of the Father. They follow his will, his commands, his precepts. They submit under the Father's will and they do it. What is it what is it to do the will of the Father? Jump down a bit and, and let's look at verse 24. Verse 24 Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Did you catch that? Everyone who hears these words of mine. Whose words? The words of Jesus. The words of Jesus. To do the will of the Father is to do the words of Jesus. It is to submit to His Lordship. Not just in word but in deed. It is to confess that He is Lord and then live like it. So, we have seen the Lord of heaven. We have seen who it is that enters the kingdom of heaven. Who is it that does not enter? It is the one who does not do the will of the Father. It is the one who perhaps says that Jesus is Lord, but they do not live like it. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Let's now turn our attention to the cry of the many who do not enter the kingdom. Verse 22. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name And cast out demons in your name. And do many mighty works in your name. Like I mentioned before. Here we get a glimpse into what it will be like on that day. When all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. What does on that day refer to? It is that day in which Christ shall separate the the sheep from the goats. the, The wheat from the tares. The repentant from the unrepentant. The believing from the unbelieving. We know that this verse is referring to the the day of final judgment, first off, because of the language in in verses 13 and 14 of chapter 7, talking about the broad way unto destruction and the narrow way unto life. But we can also conclude this because of the next verse in which Jesus casts them out of his presence forever. Forever. What is perhaps most shocking about this verse is the next word. Many. Many. This, this many, it, it harkens us back to verse 13, in which many enter the broad way. Now, uh, I, I want to pause for just a moment to make sure we're on track. Jesus is not talking about people who were a part of some other religion. Right? Jesus is not talking about Hindus or Buddhists or or Muslims. Jesus is talking about people who were around the truth, the very word of God. These are the many that are referred to. The ones who, who claim to have done everything in the name of Jesus. And what is it that the many cry? Lord, Lord. They know who Jesus is. They have to some extent a knowledge of Him. They know that He is Lord. They call Him Lord. To say this once is it's polite. It's, it's courteous. To say it again is to imply a, a position of supreme authority. We could even say that it's, it's orthodox or, or fundamental. To cry Lord, Lord together expresses a sort of devotion and fervency. But this isn't it. Look, look at what else they say. Did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, and do many mighty works in your name? In your name, in your name, in your name. name? Three times they say this. Do you see how tragic this is? These are people who know that Jesus is Lord. These are people who thought they had devoted their lives to the name of Jesus. And they stand before him and cry out with passion, emotion, and fervency. They plead for their salvation. But notice what they appeal to. They appeal to their works. They appeal to their own righteousness. Lord, Lord, we we did this. We did that. We went there. Remember, the whole Sermon on the Mount is not about more righteous deeds done by human effort, but more righteous hearts by divine grace. Now, what does the Lord say? Jesus says, okay, you have made your confession, let me make mine. Verse 23, and then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Jesus says to the many, I never knew you. I never knew you. Now, what is Jesus saying? Is he saying that he is unaware of who they are? That that somehow he is ignorant of them and their existence? No, not at at all. That's absurd. Jesus is speaking of an intimate relationship. Do you remember how how the Bible uses the word no elsewhere when describing the intimacy between a husband and wife? And Abraham knew his wife and she conceived and bore a son. Or, Or in the New Testament, when David knew her not, until she had given birth to Jesus. This is what Jesus is talking about. He, he's talking about an intimate relationship. But there's also, there's another side to the word know that I want you to see. And it, it is the idea of choosing. Of choosing. In Amos 3.2, God says to Israel, Only you have I known. Jesus says. I never knew you. We never had. An intimate relationship. You did not walk with me. You were not mine. You claim. You did this. All these things in my name. But I don't know you. Depart from me. You who practice lawlessness. Now. Notice this. Jesus says they, they, they work lawlessness. They, they practice lawlessness. They said the right things. They believed the right things. They may have even felt good about the right things. But they never did the right thing. Which was the will of the Father and of Jesus. They never obeyed the word of the Lord. So Jesus cast them away. And their ways unto destruction, the place of weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. So, uh, we have seen profane professions. Let's continue on and look now at foolish foundations. Foolish foundations. Jesus concludes this, this striking sermon with a parable. There are two houses. Um, One was built by the wise man, one was built by the fool. There are two foundations. One was built on the rock, one was built on the sand. There is a storm and there are two outcomes. One house stands, for it was founded on the rock, and one house falls, for it was founded on the sand, and great was its fall. Let's first consider the wise man. Verses 24 and 25. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. Here we have the wise man. And notice what he did. He builds on the rock, right? What is the rock? It is doing, it is doing these words of mine. It is doing the very words of Jesus. The wise man hears and he does. He does not just content himself to hear, he does. And on that day, final judgment, when the storm comes, his house does not fall. Why? Because it was founded upon the rock. Do, do you see what Jesus is doing? He, he's giving an unmistakable parable to illustrate what we have just seen. The one who enters the kingdom of heaven is the one who says and does. And here we see that the one who stands on that day is the one who hears and does. So, well what is it the fool does? Verses twenty six and twenty seven. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. The fool does what? He hears the word. He hears the word. He he hears it just like the wise man. But he doesn't doesn't do the word. And on that day when the storm comes, his house falls. And great is the fall of it. Notice what is so shocking about this parable. They both hear. They both build a house. It seems like they they build it in the same place because the the same storm hits it. Their houses are, are pretty much the same except for what? The foundation. Something that, that we, we cannot see. Ultimately, one does the word of Jesus. And one does not. One obeys and one disobeys. One lives as if Jesus is Lord and the other does not. One has a sure and steady foundation. And one has a foolish So, we we have seen profane professions and foolish foundations. We have seen the the tragedy of saying Jesus is Lord and not living like He is Lord. We have seen the tragedy of hearing the Word and not doing it. And as Jesus stands before the people on the mountain, He stands before us today today. And we are reminded that the only entrance to the kingdom of heaven is through Him. And although we have seen that the person who does not do the will of the Father will not enter the kingdom, we know that it is not about more righteous deeds by human effort. It is about more righteous hearts by divine grace. You and I, outside of Christ, are spiritually dead, bankrupt, poor, destitute, depraved. Outside of him, we have no hope and we can never earn our way to God. No heap of words, no heap of works can earn our way into the kingdom. But Christ, who is Lord, came and he made the way. He was put to death on a tree He was deemed a sacrifice sufficient for all those who believe. He rose from the dead. And now for those who go through him, who are united to him by faith, are united with him in his death and in his life. We are made alive. We are born again. We are saved by grace through faith. Yet remember, we are saved by faith alone. But it is not by a faith that is alone. What is the result of genuine faith? What is the reju- result of genuine confession that Jesus is Lord? You live like it. Obedience. Doing the will of the Father. And so anything outside doing the word of the Lord is building on a faulty foundation. Anything Outside, doing the word of the Lord is building on a faulty foundation. With that, as we come to, to close, let me, let me give you three faulty foundations versus what should be true of us as believers. Three faulty foundations versus what should be true of us as believers. So three applications. First, Having head knowledge about Christian things versus being obedient to Christ. Having head knowledge about Christian things versus being obedient to Christ. Head knowledge in itself is insufficient for your salvation. It's insufficient for your salvation. Just because you may know some things, and you may know some great things, it does not guarantee your salvation. Look at the people who gathered before Christ. What did they call Him? They cried out, Lord, Lord. They knew what to call Him. They addressed Him with the appropriate term. They adorned Him with the appropriate title. They called Him something a true child of God would call Him. But what? Jesus did not know them. Their mere knowledge was insufficient to enter the kingdom. Also, in the parable, what did the fool do? He heard the words of Jesus. He even built a house. A house perhaps that looked the same as the wise man's house. He he knew what was going on. He had heard the word. But what? He did not build on the rock. Do you see what I'm saying? You can know all the right things. You can have all the right doctrines. You can talk about the sovereignty of God. You can talk about the divinity of Jesus. And you can still not be saved. If all you have is knowledge of the truth by itself, it is practically worthless. If knowledge does not produce in you obedience to the truth, then your knowledge means nothing. Take Satan and and demons, for example. They know who God is. They are perhaps even better theologians than we are. They just hate what they know about God. And so a, a true Christian knows And does. He knows and is obedient. He doesn't just say he does. So let your knowledge of the truth spur in you obedience to it. Because if you are are to really understand truths, like Jesus is Lord of all, it will change how you live. It will change how you live. Don't assure yourself because you know more than the other guy that that, that you haven't made. Don't rely on the faulty foundation of mere head knowledge. Be obedient to the word. Know it. Love it. Long for it. Let it produce in you Christ-likeness and obedience. If you do not, you're no different than the world. No different than Satan, and no different than demons. Second, feeling excited about Christian things versus actually knowing Christ. Feeling excited about Christian things versus actually knowing Christ. Feelings in themselves are inadequate for your salvation. They're inadequate. Just because you feel excited... Or feel some array of positive emotions towards Christian things and Christ himself. It does not necessarily mean you are saved. When the many cried out, Lord, Lord. They did so passionately. They did so fervently. When they cry out and tell of their life for the name of Jesus. You can see the emotion. No doubt they were excited about the things they were doing. No doubt they thought Jesus was their Lord. They say they did everything in His name. They thought they loved the Lord. Certainly they had some sort of emotional attachment to the name of Jesus. But what? Jesus never knew them. He never knew them. Who did they really love? Themselves. Who did they really trust in? Themselves. Who do they point to when they plead for their salvation? Themselves. Their excitement about Christian things and Jesus was inadequate for their salvation. Because Jesus did not know them. Moreover, we can conclude therefore that they really did not know him. If they really knew him, he would know them. And they would have obeyed. Feeling excited... About Jesus. Is not enough. It's not enough. Do you know him? Does he know you? That is, is. Is there an intimate relationship. Between you and Christ. Or do you just have. Sentimental feelings. Now. Emotions play a role. Don't, don't get me wrong. Just like knowledge. But they are not sufficient. In of themselves. Genuine love. Genuine longing. Come from tasting the beauty of Christ. And knowing him. So do not rely. On the faulty foundation. Of mere emotions. It is about knowing Christ. And intimately walking with him. Communing with him. It is about relationship. Third. Being busy doing Christian things versus a life that is Christ's. Being busy doing Christian things versus a life that is Christ's. Don't be deceived. Staying busy doing good things does not necessarily mean that you are saved. Look at the many again. Do we not prophesy... In your name, and cast out demons in your name, and do many mighty works in your name. They were staying busy doing spiritual things. Their spiritual resume was impressive. Also, if you look at the full in 24 to 27, he builds a house, right? This, this can surmount to spiritual activity. He stayed busy, he was doing the same thing as the wise man. But what? Their lives were never truly Christ's. You can come to church regularly. You can participate on worship team. You can teach Bible study. You can go to seminary. You can go on mission trips. You can do all these great Christian things and yet still have a life that is not Christ's. Look at the fool, and look at the Many. What did they ultimately not do? They did not obey. They did not obey. Their lives were not of obedience to the Lord. Their lives were not the Lord's. Ultimately, they had wrong motives in their deeds. What are your motives for what you do? Is it because you are Christ's and you know Him and you love Him? Or is it for some other reason? Do you live a life of empty works? Good things on Sunday, disobedience on Monday? Or do you find yourself continually at the feet of Jesus? Is your whole life, all of you, Christ's, your work, your school, your family, everything, every decision, every thought, every breath, are they Christ's? And let me be clear, I'm not talking about perfection. This is, this is not about perfection. Perfection. I'm talking about direction. Do you find yourself more and more submitting in everything to Christ who is Lord? You will not be perfect, but what is the trajectory of your life? Do not rely on the faulty foundation of empty works. It could be that your good works are like filthy rags before the Lord if you are not His. If you ultimately live a life of disobedience. Instead. Live a life. That is Christ. Everything and always. If Jesus is the Lord of your life. This will be the trajectory of your life. Jesus is Lord. Um, he, he is Lord of all like we talked about last week. Are you obedient to him? Do you know him? Are you his? He is Lord of all, and there is no one greater, and there is no one higher. There's no one more beautiful, and there is no one more worthy than him. He is the one who is in the beginning, the one who casts the stars out like a curtain, the one who is the spoken word that caused creation to come into being. He's the one who told the sea to come this far and no further, the one who gives flight to the birds, the one who gives breath. To your lungs. The one who gives galaxies their orbit. The one who instructs every cell and strand of DNA in your body. Do you know him? Do you know this Lord? The one who emptied himself. The one who took on flesh and our likeness. The one who did perfectly the Father's will. The one who healed the sick. The one who raised the dead. The one who was crucified for you and me. The one upon whom the wrath of God was poured out. The one who was the perfect lamb. The one who died. The one who could not be held by the grave. The one who rose again. The one who ascended and sits now at the right hand of the Father. Do you know Him? This one, this Lord, who will come back one day and gather into His loving arms His bride. Do you know Him? Do you know this Lord? He is Lord. Are you slave? He is master. Are you servant? He is king. Are you subject? So. I uh, I end us where we started. Is your life. A testament to the lordship of Christ. Does your life proclaim, shout, testify to the lordship of Christ? Do your actions, your decisions, your desires, and your words give way to the absolute beauty, power, and authority of Jesus? Or do you say, Lord, Lord, with your mouth and in your soul cry, me, Let's pray Oh great God of highest heaven we come and we bow before you we pray that you would occupy our lowly hearts Father would you own it all and Reign supreme and conquer in us every rebel power. I pray that you would stir up our affections for Jesus, who is Lord, Lord of all. God, would we see him clearly? Would we behold his majesty, his authority? his power, his lordship. And would we submit? Would we not live like he isn't Lord? Would we not have profane professions and would we not build on foolish foundations? But would we submit in all things, always, to the Father's will. God, we pray that you would move us to obedience. God, would we heed your word this morning. God, would we desire Christ more than the very air that we breathe. And we love you, we praise you. In Jesus' name, we pray these things. Amen.